Ahui ho. Holy, holy, Aloha, welcome to the Blue Hawaii Podcast. I'm welcome Josh back, Michaels. Y'all. I'm Ryan Little. We are coming to you from Sherry Campania's campaign headquarters in Kakako, where she's running a primary campaign challenging Congressional District 2's incumbent, Tulsi Gabbard. A little about Miss Campania from her campaign bio. Sherry Alu Campania is a native Hawaiian, a state commissioner, an environmental scientist, a devoted mother, foster parent, a grassroots organizer, a devout Democrat, the former statewide chair of Women's March, and a true leader of the people. Whew. Hopefully she can lead some of them to start listening to our podcast. Sherry Campania, welcome to the show. Aloha, guys. Thanks so much for having me here. Thanks for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. It's been a long day, but that's the nature of the game, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have to start with the key question that's on everybody's mind right now. Oh, God. What do you think about LeBron going to the Lakers? LeBron going to the Lakers? I had no idea. But you know what? My kids do this thing at home called LeBroning. What is that? That's when you fall down and you pretend like you're hurt and you try to get a piece of candy out of mom. Oh. I thought you were going to say they just throw talcum powder in the air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I started doing uh, that just at random places. It doesn't well, go over well. <laughs> so would you mind telling us uh, tell us your story and why you decided to run for Congress? For the average person who doesn't know you, yeah. we just know you a little bit. All right. Okay. So, so basically a little bit about me. I was born in Honolulu. I was raised by a dad who spent a lifetime in the military. He eventually retired out as the highest ranking civilian in the Army. He had uh, command over all of the Army installations in the Pacific Theater. Wow. Um, my mom is a Native Hawaiian rights activist, and she still teaches Native Hawaiian studies in Jefferson Elementary School in Waikiki. And, uh, you know, the two of them had very interesting discussions over dinner, and I was raised with that duality in my home. Um, and they both are very intelligent people, very loving people, and they raised me to always question um, the, the privilege that I enjoyed from my dad's career, but always remember where I came from and... Um, to know that I had a responsibility to give back. So they raised me to be something of an activist. And that is where I've always been most comfortable. Yes, I got my degree in biology. Yes, I, I became an environmental planner and um, remediator and uh, started my own company. But at the end of a business day or in and amongst the things that I was doing, I always find myself drawn to helping people, whether it's foster care reform, ag issues, prison reform, uh, and then eventually women's issues and environmental stuff. That's where I, that's where I got my gas. That's, that's really what drives me to keep on going. And so, um, you know, Women's March became a thing for me. As you said, I was the chair uh, for the state, did a did a lot um, with people activating folks and getting this grassroots movement going. And uh, the next natural step just seemed to be making sure that as a a country and as a community, we weren't holding back and we weren't going to settle for what we perceived was going to be the, I guess, the undoing of of all of our basic human rights, right? So um, we just looked around for folks who from the community were willing to rise up and take these, take a stab at these seats. And I became one of those people. So, you know, speaking of rising up, you know, as you mentioned, state chair of the Women's March, and you Mm -hmm. were just a one of the leaders at the Keep Families Together rally this past yeah. weekend. Uh, so you're no stranger to a good old-fashioned protest. Oh, I love them. Can you tell us a little bit about how the rally went and where we can go from here? Yeah, so the rally was good. Uh, you know, tens of thousands showed up in the major continental cities. And here in Hawaii, we had a good maybe 2,000, 2,500, something like that showed up. And that was awesome. For, for people, when they show up at a rally, 
it is often because they feel alone and they feel helpless. And for us, you know, critics will, will look at a rally like that and say, so what have you actually done? Like, what does that actually mean? Well, first and foremost, what it means is we find some sameness with each other. We find, we find and we build and we maintain community. And it keeps hope alive, right? So you get there, you realize you're not alone. You realize that there are other people who feel that this is just a terrible tragedy. Whatever, human rights violations abound in this this crap that's going on right now. And uh, you're not alone and people aren't going to just like lie there and let it happen to them. They're gonna take control somehow. So the next steps from here, we say we persist, we say we resist, and we march on. There's going to always be something else, right? Last week, it was the Families Belong Together rally, but that same week, right, we saw the Janus ruling come down yeah. to further like, erode our unions. We saw, um, we saw women in the workforce losing more rights. We saw so many terrible, terrible things. And that has kind of been the nature of this administration. It's horrifying. It's shocking. And we have to do something about it. The hits just keep on coming. Yeah, the hits keep coming. Uh, you know, mentioning uh, Janice and the plight of women generally and just the Trump administration at large, it, it often really feels like we're disconnected from the mainland politics. And we typically understand and, and know that our reps and senators in D.C. are going to vote the way we want them to. So how do you get people in Hawaii to engage with things happening on a national level? Right. So that is that is so as I'm campaigning, I'm finding that that is the sticking point. That yeah. is the issue. It's a million dollar question. It is. And especially for this seat. So Congressional District 2, right, that represents almost all of rural Hawaii, mm -hmm. every island in the state is Congressional District 2. And here on Oahu, the only place that's carved out for CD1 is the town side, right? So what ends up happening, and this is true of uh, most rural seats, is that the seat, this house seat, ends up getting used by career politicians to advance their career to the next step. Because there's low voter participation, because there's low interest, because oftentimes, and this is sad and it is true, oftentimes people in rural America simply are ignored. Yeah. The power centers are urbanized and people in the rural areas, then their needs yeah. become ignored. And because they're the salt of the earth, because they're used to grit and grinding and persisting, they make things work out for themselves and they don't ask, right? We tend to be, we tend to be pretty proud people, pretty... Um, pretty reliant on our own communities and we find our own way, our own workaround. You see that in like when the floods happened in Kauai, who were the first responders? It was the neighborhood, right? It was the community. They came and dug each other out. I met a girl who was like 20 years old who was moving dead pigs into a pit right after the flood. FEMA wasn't there helping oh, her, yeah. right? The guard wasn't there helping her. She and her family were lifting up and moving dead pigs into a pit. And so that's how... That's how rural America survives. And so what I'm saying is that these, these house seats for rural America tend to be used by people who have their eyes set on something else. They're going somewhere else, and they know that uh, rural folks aren't going to really bother them too much with their needs. And to, to that end, what I see is when I, when, I, when I go out in the district and I talk to folks, they don't even realize 
that a house representative is really supposed to represent the needs of her house, that her job is to live amongst, work amongst, activate amongst, activate, that's key, be an activist for your people in DC, hold the door open wide for them and make sure you're bringing home things to help them with their needs. And so the first step for me when I campaign isn't just introducing myself, it's letting them know what the job description actually entails. That's the first thing, it's education. Uh, since you know you're running against an incumbent, uh, it's, it's as you pointed out, you have to explain the your, the role. And, yeah. You know, it's not it's not enough to say here's why you should vote for me. Right. You also have to say here's why you should vote against the current seat holder. Now, uh, yeah. there, there's a big debate marathon extravaganza on Hawaii News Now tonight. Actually, right now. Yeah, right, right, literally right now while we're recording. Mm-hmm. Um, the governor, lieutenant governor, congressional district one candidates all be there, but not CD2. That's right. You put out a statement about this. And uh, for our listeners who are not familiar, would you mind sharing okay. your thoughts? So Hawaii News Now is running this what they call a super debate or super forum. And it is being sponsored by OHA, so the Office of Hawaiian Affairs and Kamehameha Schools. Um, they, Hawaii News Now, has invited the candidates for the governor's seat, lieutenant governor's seat, and congressional district one, so town side, and they've left out congressional district two when, when, when pressed for um, a reason on why you would leave out this massive geography for our state, right? That's, that's everybody. Seven right? out of eight islands. Yeah. Right, seven out of eight islands, right? Seven and a half. Seven, seven and a half. And a half. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they said that, well, they asked Congresswoman Gabbard first if she would participate, and when she said no then they didn't even invite me, right? So they're just going to leave Congressional District 2 out. And that that really, as an activist, that really just grinds me. To get ignored again for the townies, to get ignored again for Honolulu. I mean, is this the state of Hawaii or is it the state of Honolulu? And it is even further galling when I think about the fact that people in District 2 are the most marginalized folks in the state. Yeah. And so we don't get an opportunity to look at, at a candidate simply because the incumbent who already has the luxury of holding the seat, already has the luxury of all this advantage, couldn't make it that day. That's not all right. You know, there, there are legitimate workarounds. I could debate nothing. I could debate a box. I've seen people on the continent debate chickens. You or could do the Clint Eastwood, grab a chair. Yeah. Right, totally. And, you know, here... Hopefully you'd look a little less senile. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so, too. Yeah. It's, it does take some nuance to pull it off. But. Right. It, so the LGBT caucus, right, of yeah. the Democratic Party and the Labor caucus and the Native Hawaiian caucus got together. They had the same situation happen. And rather than leave me out, they just simply put me on the stage with the other congressional candidates from CD1. It makes sense. It, yeah. was a, it was a fair workaround, and people got to hear from all of us. Or just give you you know, 10 minutes to make your case. Sure. Yeah. Just 10 minutes. I mean, and it's not even for me. It's, it's for us out in the district. It's yeah, about yeah. the people. Like, are, are we going to be democratic about this process or not? And clearly in this case, not. So that's the first thing. So for, for the people, I am upset. Second, as a native Hawaiian, I am upset because this is being paid for with native Hawaiian money mm-hmm. and it is being it is happening on Native Hawaiian land. So it's happening at Kamehameha Schools. I'm the mother of a Kamehameha School student. My son graduates from Kapalama Campus 2023. Really Whoa. proud of that. Imua, right? And so Native Hawaiian students are going to be participating in the political process and asking questions of these candidates. Our children so rarely receive the opportunity to ask questions like this of someone yeah. that they see as a reflection of themselves. 
how is it that we are denying these children this opportunity? Especially for CD2, where most Native Hawaiians live in the state. That's right. We're talking about the borders that have flown in from our neighbor islands to come and, and learn at Kapalama campus. They're going to be there. They are there tonight. And I, I'm offering myself up to them as their representative. It does them a massive disservice to not have me there so that they can see me and they can ask me questions. To not have truthfully both of you there right, right? i mean sure. it, not it's because it seems any representation it seems like the argument you're making is just that you deserve to be there it's that right. both of you should be there mm -hmm. absolutely as you want to represent them and their parents and mm -hmm. their you know tutu and tutukane that's right yeah. absolutely so you know for me it just kind of rubs me the wrong way that we're being left out yet again so if we were to i guess pretending we're in a debate right now so mm -hmm. what what are the biggest contrasts between you and Rep Gabbard? There are so many. There are so many. We got, time? Let's we got time? Okay. So let's start back in the beginning when she was on um, Honolulu City Council. House Bill, oh no, Bill 54, I think is what it's commonly referred to. That is the bill she authored that was the first one in the state to criminalize being homeless. So that's mm -hmm. the very first one. If you want to go back that far, I wouldn't have done that. But if we don't criminalize homeless people, then right. what and then, are we going to do about them? Then what are we going to do about then them? Then we actually have to treat it like a real human rights issue. I know, right? Like the, that it is. And, you know, there was that article last week where uh, Honolulu brags about the homeless rate or the homeless population in the city going down. And, yeah, sure. because uh, we the, kicked them all out to Waianae and Waimanala. That's <laughs> right, because you've kicked them out to yeah. Congressional District 2. Yeah. So that's the beginning. I, I think um, there's other things. Last month, uh, Congresswoman Gabbard proposed um, weaponizing PMRF, which is the Pacific Missile Research uh, Facility on Kauai. Mm -hmm. Basically turning it into, a, instead of a defensive system against North Korea and China and everybody, turning it into an offensive system. Well, it's not defensive either. It's actually a research facility. So right now, it's pl a place where we test uh, uh, what we call dudded weapons. So... Uh, so I'm a military master planner, too. I guess, you know, full disclosure, I've worked on uh, federal contracts to help the military do some master planning here in the Pacific and other places in the world. So, um, yeah, so right now, PMRF is literally a research facility. It has scientists, engineers, administrative staff, that kind of thing going on there. Uh, Congresswoman Gabbard would bring THAAD missile defense systems into PMRF, which would change the way that that facility uh, cohabitates on that island. Mm -hmm. It would change the population there. So now we're going to have people who can operate missiles and um, and use them as defensive weapons. Uh, we are going to have all the support staff that that entails. And then, of course, because THAAD missile systems are considered an asset, uh, we're going to have to protect those assets. So right now we have a base that welcomes the public from time to time to come use the beaches. It, you know, it blends sort of into the community. You're not going to have that anymore. Uh, having designed um, uh, military bases that protect assets, I know then uh, how rigid the 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 boundaries have to be. And as rigid as you'd want boundaries to be oh, around yeah. places that well, have ballistic missiles, things that in blow them. up yeah. and yeah. kill people. Yeah, yeah, you would want you would want necessary yes. rigidity. We're going to build those walls, and we're going to make the missiles pay for it. <laughs> No, no. So, um, yeah. See so you, it's gonna I see be, what you did there. See what you did. I see. <laughs> so it's going to be a different Kauai. I like Kauai the way it is. I really like Kauai the way it is. My dad's family's from there. I want it to stay the way it is. I don't need it to be further militarized. Um, and she wants to do that. Um, I'm against it. I would, I would fight that tooth and nail. Well, okay. 
Here's another one. Mm. A lot of people were taken aback when the HSTA, that's the Hawaii State Teachers Association, the union, endorsed you. Uh, Hawaii unions rarely go for the underdog. Mm -hmm. And we were having trouble thinking of an instance where such a big union here endorsed a challenger against an incumbent. Right. Tell us about that and what it means to your campaign. Well, an endorsement like that means everything to a campaign like mine. So outsider, underdog, dark horse, whatever you want to label this as, uh, that is truly what this campaign is. Um, HSTA took their guidance from the vote that was taken by the NEA. So the NEA is the National Education Association. They met and they considered <clears throat> Congresswoman Gabbard and they considered me. Congresswoman Gabbard has an A- minus voting record on public education, which is pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. But what the NEA decided was that they needed to consider a candidate based on the body of her work. And so they looked at what I've done in advocacy and activism and they and they compared that to yes, Tulsi does vote uh, for tor- with them on public education, but where is she on human rights? Mm-hmm. She seems to be uh, invested in um, international affairs that don't directly concern CD2. I think she visited a school in Syria, probably, right? Well, she visited a school in Syria. Well, actually, she told me personally that she visited women and children in Syria. So that was, that's my hot button issue, right? Oh. She, she met with me the day she got off the plane from Syria, actually, and told me that she spent time visiting um, widows and orphans on all sides of the conflict. All sides. All sides. All sides matter. Of the conflict. And what she learned was that those widows really wanted Women's March to help uh, her lift the U.S. sanctions against Syria. And as a mom and as a foster mom... That seems like the right thing to do, doesn't it? Right. As a mom and as a foster mom, I got to say that if I am in a refugee camp with my children and a politician comes from America, I'm almost 100% sure that I didn't mention a damn thing about sanctions, that I probably simply asked for a safe way out, maybe some food, water, or medical attention. They probably would love for this uh, gas sanctions to be lifted. The gas sanctions. Yeah, especially. if you could, if maybe if they thought sanctions meant chemical weapons, we'd love to lift those. Like, well, right. I was just telling Uncle Bashar the other day. Uh, <laughs> all right. So you also describe yourself as, quote, a devout Democrat. Yes. You're challenging, if you haven't realized, an incumbent member of the House of Representatives. Mm. And obviously, the dynamics of these two races are going to be a little different, but what was your reaction to seeing Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez knock off the number four Democrat in the House last week? That was pretty amazing. That was pretty beautiful to watch. That was really wonderful to watch. So here in Women's March, so in actually beyond Women's March, Women's March is just a small population in something that we call the resistance, right? It includes other folks that activate indivisible, um, sister district, flippable. This is um, where like Trump chimes in with Antifa, socialist, communists coming to, you know. Sure, why not? Soft Taliban. Letting them them all across the border. You love MS-13. That's right. So all of us together, we call ourselves the resistance. MS-13 and pussy hats. Can you imagine? (laughs) I do appreciate the two MS-13 guards that let us into your office earlier. That was very kind of them. Yeah, we're we're working on on them. So, um, yeah. Uh, What were we talking about? We're talking about uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so in the resistance, right, we had... A sense that she was going to do this. We were pretty confident, actually, that this was going to happen. So we got to celebrate with her. But for us, 
it didn't seem like the upset it may have seemed like to other people who don't activate and engage all day long Mm -hmm. within the resistance. You know, uh, we've been working and having these on these sorts of races and having these sorts of conversations for over a year now. When uh, Trump was first elected, we all got together on these national uh, conference calls that would sometimes include hundreds of, of people across the country. And we started to plot out, you know, what is going to be the elastic effect of all this stuff? What, how long are we going to have to work to reshape what the damage that's going to be done by Trump and his administration, all the backlash and all the hate mongering that we predicted? And, you know, at the time we predicted that it was going to be 27 years of work to get back to that place where we were the day before Trump was elected. 27 years of work was what we eventually plotted out in all those meetings. That literally makes me want to cry. Right. And that was before we knew that Justice Kennedy was going to retire. And that was before, well, we had a hunch about Janice. We, We factored that in as well. But we know anyone who's in the resistance and is in it to win it or is doing like me and running for something as ambitious as Congress knows that this isn't a sprint, it's a marathon. Mm -hmm. And if you mean to do this, you mean to commit yourself to this work. You're not going to let this go down without a massive fight because a whole generation of Americans are going to grow up under the fallout of electing Trump. And that's not okay, right? I looked around the dinner table at my kids the night that Trump got elected. I have I have four kids, two brown ones, two white ones. And I was like, right? And so I'm looking at them and like through my mind, in my mind, I'm thinking, shit, I can only send two of my kids to the continent for college. Now that Trump's been elected, I got to keep the brown yeah. ones at home. Yeah. And that is a terrible thing to, yeah. to imagine while you're looking at your young faces at the dinner table. I mean, he, I mean, the president still thinks the Central Park Five should have been executed. Right. So that's all you need to know about him. Yeah. Does he think though? You said he still thinks. Does yeah. he think? Does yeah, he he's think? he He thinks. Yeah. We're sure he thinks. In a reptilian way. Yeah. In a reptilian way. He's very reflexive, uh, huh? He, yeah. The re- the reflex is brown equals bad. Brown equals bad. Yeah. That's scary. Yes. Yeah, so scary. So yeah. scary. Unless they're like working in your house or in your yard. And then they're okay. But don't yeah. talk to me. Don't talk. Don't talk. Yeah. And make me my hamburger and my steak with ketchup. Mm, well done. Well done. No. <laughs> that's like the for a guy who's so rich, that's like the poorest person thing that I can think of. Because like Growing up poor, there's few things that self-identify poor people more than steak with ketchup, food-wise, mm-hmm. and like uh, rent stressing on pizza. That's another big one. <laughs> rent stressing on pizza. If you haven't had that, rent stressing on lunchroom pizza is divine. It, it actually really is. And Waffle House steak, well done, right? Now you're speaking my language, yeah. sister. Yep, yep, yep. I've been Poe. I've been Poe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Waffle oh. House, the Lord <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so uh, this is... In the- this, you know, thrown into relief by uh, Ms. Ocasio-Cortez's victory, but mm-hmm. this is sort of what we've been wrestling with ever since the election, like you said. What do you see as the way forward for the Democratic Party, you know, as the institution in the age of Trump? Because, you know, civility, generous air quotations, this debate that we've been having the past two weeks, does not seem to be getting us anywhere. And I don't think Pelosi and Schumer realize you know, they're not going to win any votes from the left or the right by shushing Maxine Waters. Oh, my God. Why would you shush Maxine? Something something seems different about her yeah. from them. Mm, uh, what is it? Something that's so, all over I her mind. It's almost as if the 75-year-old black woman who lived through Jim Crow. You know, I don't know. I can't I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. Um, but no, so, so essentially, in the 
you know, re- Republicans have the advantage of they get to talk directly to their base. Yeah. Democratic establishment are talking to their donors. Right. They're trying to put their, you know, their big Wall Street donors at ease. Uh-huh. Um, so there's this disconnect, you know, the more they talk about like, oh, we need to, you know, we need to be civil. We need to like reach out in good faith, blah, 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 blah. That's not getting people to the polls. Not at all. So what do we do? The unity message is kind of obnoxious, isn't yeah. it? He's not going to invite you to Mar-a-Lago. No, but he, he should. Well, it's because we are, are we don't have a lowest common denominator, right? It's right. at the at the base level, Democrats still feel differently on so many issues. I mean, you have people who are, I mean, at the even on some fundamental platform levels, you have pro-life Democrats. Yeah. Like you don't have any pro-choice Republicans. If you do, they kick you out and you become a libertarian. Like you, at your base level of Republicanism, there's fear and anger. And at the Democratic level, there's like, thought and nuance and right. thought and nuance don't make for very good rallying cries you can't say ms-13 is a complicated issue i have a 27 by- i have a 27 point plan <laughs> yeah slides please yeah it just it doesn't turn out voters so yeah. No, I, yeah, you're right. It doesn't. Um, so I used to tell people, I think the one thing we can do is take contempt out of politics. Uh, that and but that's not that's not working. That that was a great idea in the beginning, and it and it's good for me on the campaign trail, right? So surprisingly, when I go out and talk to people, mm-hmm. I enjoy a lot of approval from this really wide spectrum of society, which is really really nice. And people say it's because I tend to be pretty inclusive. I'm approachable, easy to get along with, yada yada yada. You know, I think that maybe maybe that could work for the Dems too. There's a lot of just derision. Just being approachable and honest, right? Like just yeah. being approachable yeah. and real. There's so much bullying. That's I mean that's why Hillary lost, hell? right? Is not because her policies weren't flawed. It's because she was not approachable, right? And she just wasn't a good candidate. She just wasn't yeah. that likable. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you liked her, you really liked her. I have people on my campaign team yeah, that I mean, really friggin' yeah. love her. That yeah. really just like adore her. She'd but been then they president. would. But they'd be comfortable like at a table with her having a nice lunch, right? Okay, but then I have people that support this campaign who would have been very uncomfortable sitting at the table with them. And those that are comfortable at the table with Hillary don't understand how the brown people are uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, why are the brown people so uncomfortable talking about Hillary? But the thing is, though, and because I, I had the same gut, but like black people, brown people voted for her. It was mm-hmm. it was the white women. It was the white men that didn't vote for her. Right. And I think in my mind, it's like because brown people people of color knew what they were had to lose right and white people didn't realize what had been gained yeah and so it's like when you're not likable mm-hmm. and the people don't have a sense of what's at stake you end up with you know miserable voter turnout and people going nah you know but her emails but her email <laughs> again with that yeah so I don't have a grandiose plan for healing the Democratic Party and yeah. moving it forward. Well, what are we here for then? Yeah. Right. Then what? Then forget <laughs> I mean, it. We're done. We're just done. I'm just Beep. afraid. I'm afraid. Mic's off. <laughs> I'm afraid like we're going to just keep, you know, judging by Twitter. Uh-huh. Uh, I spend probably too much time on Twitter every day. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid we're going to keep relitigating Hillary versus Bernie until okay, so that, we look up and Trump has been reelected. So ad nauseum. By yeah. the way, nobody in Congressional District District 2 really cares anymore about that old fight that is such an old fight to them between two old white base like two old white people that they don't so the future for cd2 doesn't lie in the cult of personality that surrounds either bernie or hillary 
They both have great ideas about stuff that we need, that I need in order to make things better for people in district two. Uh, but it doesn't, the answer doesn't lie in following them one step further. Their time has come and gone. I think that we could take the best from, from both and move forward. If people aren't caring about the issues, then I don't really know that we have much to talk about. If they want to turn me again to the purity test of whether I voted for Hillary or Bernie, I think that that's a waste of my time because what I care about is restarting the economic engine in District 2. What I care about is making sure that someone is in D.C. holding the door open for rural Hawaii and getting us the things that we need that we've lost over the years. And I like for me, the answer isn't, Hillary or Bernie anymore. I don't care who's running for 2020. I really don't. What I care about is the fact that most people are raising kids in District 2 that'll never be able to live there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for, as far as the Democratic Party goes, uh, I think that uh, that's going to be a lot of family therapy and maybe some, I don't know, PTSD therapy and a lot of hand-holding, maybe a drum circle. <laughs> But it's going to be it, the, the answer for the Democratic Party lies in this chaos and actually in this conflict that we're having, even the bullying, even the derision, even all of that, the us versus them within the, the little factions within the Democratic Party, mm -hmm. all of that is important and it's vital. Uh, it's going to play out the way it plays out. It's sure it's painful to be in caught in that mess, but at least that mess is happening. It's better than apathy. For God's sake, it's yeah. better than apathy. Yeah. It means that we're trying to get somewhere. We're not doing it together. And anyone who like tries to bully me with this idea of unity and coming together, I mean, I, don't don't explain me with your unity. Uh, we are not. This is a democracy. There's actually no such thing as unity in a democracy. This is how we roll. Yeah. Uh, the differences are, are, that's our problem and also our pride. Well, so. and what's the point of unity in a solid one party state? I mean, at that point, solid? you're just, you're approaching monarchy, right? It's okay. like, <laughs> there's, it's like, why shouldn't you push things left? Why shouldn't somebody try to push things right? Like, right. That's, that's the whole purpose of the game. Right. Unity. Yeah. yeah pure unity for the sake of unity leads to complacency, which exactly. leads to stagnation. Yeah. And she not to say that politics in Hawaii have stagnated, but. We're going to ask you a more substantial question, <laughs> such as, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? When I, you're not campaigning. So actually, the campaign is fun. You guys are going to think that that is just some kind of like crazy line that my team made me say, but it is the truth. I have, so when I decided I was going to run for the seat, mm -hmm. I'm doing it for the good of the people, just like leading Women's March, just like becoming a commissioner. I'm doing it because I see a need and it's something that's personalized for me. Uh, and so I'm going to do this thing. All right. I didn't realize how much fun it would be talking to people on all the islands hearing their stories super awesome digging people out in Anahola after the flood okay so yeah there's tragedy in it but there's so much camaraderie too sure I had a great time doing that the trips to DC talking to folks up there oh my gosh awesome you know because of my dad's career we were up at the Pentagon a lot we were in DC a lot and um and in and amongst <clears throat> those halls all the time and seeing it from a kid's perspective and, and being raised in that world is one thing, but actually being a participant in it was just super duper fun time uh, or is. So, uh, yeah, that's what I do for fun is actually the campaign. I don't get a chance to rest right now. <clears throat> Single momming it 
and I do respect, work. Respect. Yeah, th- thank you. Thanks. You know, four kids and running for Congress, just your normal. Only three at mom. home. Only three at home. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah. So I don't get a chance to rest. I don't know the last time I turned on a TV. Um, don't. Just don't. Yeah. Just don't. It. Sometimes yeah. I'll I'll engage random people in words with friends. Oh, okay. Which is like a th- throwback a thing. to 2010. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. But you know, it's one of those things that you can like pick it up for five minutes and then you know go make a couple phone calls or write some emails. That's okay. It. Maybe I'm not very fun anymore. Damn. You know, you mentioned restarting the economic engine yeah. as, as part of your goal. Uh, if you win mm-hmm. your first day in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. what are your priorities? What do you do? I got to go see Auntie Maxine. Yeah. Day one, I'm going to go see Auntie Maxine. Kiss the ring. Yes, kiss the ring. <laughs> and, and, then, and then Sister Alexandria. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I want to catch up with her. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, that's, that's day one. Uh, day two. I'm going to check on the ERA, see how it's doing, see if okay. that, that thing's still alive. Equal, right, equal rights amendment. Equal rights amendment. Can we get a what, what? That's what, what? Be, yeah, Thank you, thank you. I give you a what, what? Yeah. Thank you. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to check in on it recently, but I wanted to make a little edit to it to make sure that we didn't just say, and women created equal, that we include the whole spectrum of gender identity. That's the only shift I would make for, for the ERA. Just people. Just yeah. all just people. people. Just people. Just humans. Just people. And yeah. my dog. No, maybe not only, my dog. Only your dog or everybody's dog? Oh, God. See, just only hers. Right. You can okay. tell. You can, you you can, can tell, tell she's a dog supremacist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? Uh, Chloe's a mutt. She's a mix. She's a rescue dog. Boy dog. She's, okay, so she's what I call a Friday dog. Because if you look at the front of her, she looks almost like a perfect schnauzer. But like on the back end, something happened. It was like she got started on a Friday. <laughs> And the, in the morning, whoever was working on her was putting a lot it of attention to detail. Like, I can't remember what I was doing. Right, came back from lunch and was just kind of like, ah, forget it. Yeah, and just we're slapped on a deadline. tail. We gotta throw it together quick. <laughs> <laughs> slapped on a tail and walked. Yeah, she's a Friday dog. So okay, so this is a listener question that got submitted to us. Oh, cool. And much to Ryan's chagrin, I reappropriated in every single interview. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. So really? So you're on a desert island. Okay. Don't ask why. Don't ask why. Why? And don't don't ask, ask any questions. The variables. Yeah. Just, just just roll with it here. Yeah. All right. Um, you can only bring one book, mm-hmm. one movie, and one album. Wow. What do you bring? One book, one movie, and one album. All right. So if I'm bringing a book, I'm bringing a blank one. Because honestly, I don't think I can reread books. Usually I read a book and I've I, never I, can't, re-read a I book. can't reread it. Yeah. When I was in middle school, I actually read the whole library. Yeah. I read my entire middle school library wow. in Marietta, Georgia. Anyway, that was middle school. So Shout one, out Marietta, Georgia. At Marietta, Georgia. Yeah. Mm-hmm, shout out. So, um, and one movie. Again, I'm not really good at watching movies again. So I don't know that I could bring a movie. But if I did bring one, it would have to be something action adventure. Okay. Something action adventure. A lot of like... Yeah, a lot of crazy, like um, maybe dinosaurs eating people. I'm a big Jurassic fan. Park. Jurassic Park would be great. <laughs> there's a movie for that. There's, you know? there's, right. a, whole, there's a, yeah. It's I a never franchise. got into Sharknado. You would think that someone who likes to see dinosaurs eat people could also watch sharks eat well, people, I mean, but that's like, way not cool for like, me. Like, I, you know, let's draw the line. I mean, right. dinosaurs coming back to life, very realistic. But a Sharknado? But a Sharknado? I'm skeptical at best. Yeah. Right, right. And I, you know, I stayed up too late one night when I was like seven years old and watched Jaws against my mother's wishes. Whoa. And now I'm, I, anything that touches Haven't me in the, in the ocean, I'm the one who goes, ah, shark. Yeah. Right. So, and it could just be kelp. Anyway. One album? And one album. Uh, it's going to be something by Rage Against the Machine, Beastie Boys, or Ministry. I don't okay. think I could put a. You got to choose one. Some so far, you've been, mm-hmm. you've gotten 
not Sharknado and a blank book to I take know. with you on this desert island. Your life is going to suck. So you my better pick a good gonna, album. My life is not going to suck, actually. My life is going to be badass. And it's uh, it just doesn't depend on my book, which is okay. going to be a blank one so I can keep notes. And then, um, yeah, I think, I think I'm going to go with Ministry and I can't pin down an album. Sorry. Not Rage Against the Machine, though? Paul Ryan's favorite band. Is it really? It's real. Shoot, and I have Tom, something in common with Paul Tom, Ryan. Tom, Tom Morello came out and said, "Like, I don't think he realizes. Like, he's the machine we've been he's raging the against. The person we do not like. Yeah, he really said that. Yeah, it Tom, just feels. I'm that changing feels my like answer. A, that I'm changing feels like my an answer. Onion article. It feels like like Paul Ryan likes rage against the machine. The machine, uh, the machine in Paul Ryan's case is poor people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, and people of color. Yeah. And people of color. Yeah. Hmm. Um, ministry you ministry know. is really awesome all right how many times did i see them we're just concert? gonna we're gonna take that one clip and we're gonna take it over to tbn and we're gonna pitch you as the uh conservative christian candidate so you get that endorsement too it's gonna be ministry is awesome ministry is says, the ministry. ministry is awesome all right i'm the, the i'm the odd one out here what is what is ministry uh ministry is industrial what, hardcore like evangelism <laughs> no well literally yes but like that's what the, i mean the band the band the it, band ministry the band ministry is it like um, it is industrial Josh, hardcore. Us. I don't, oh, this is before your time. This is cool before candidate. This is before your time. Okay. It's just industrial hardcore music. Okay, but industrial. not like industrial hardcore Christian rock, you, right? No, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm like no. I'm, I doubt that Al Jurgensen. Wait, so you're into like the in, the industrial? So like, were you into like Bauhaus and like? Uh, I had some very sad friends who were. Yes, yeah. yes, very yeah. emo friends who were. Yeah, so. Um, I did my undergrad work in uh, in Kennesaw, Georgia. At Kennesaw State? Know, at Kennesaw State University. Kennesaw State University, yeah. Yes. About and an so, hour north of downtown Atlanta. Exactly. And yep. so we were downtown in Little Five all the time yep. listening to... I just moved back to Hawaii from Atlanta. and I, was, I lived about a half mile from Little Five. Oh, my gosh. Okay, yeah. so many memories. So many memories. So many great shows. Yeah, there's a lot of good shows down there. Yeah, it was easy to be punk rock in the Southeast back then, yeah. back in the day, like 100,000 years ago. Now it's dinosaurs. like punk rock is just like, my dad is a doctor, but my mom is just a nurse and right. the angst is so palpable. And the angst is so real. Yeah. And I Nobody watched, understands. And then you like pull up to the show in your BMW and yeah. like, you like get out and you've got like emo clothes on you got like a denim vest and everybody's just like oh man this guy's really legit he's legit yeah he's, he's so street yeah back in the day like to go to a show was five dollars and if any band came to town and tried to charge more than five bucks you're just like no they're sellouts they're sellouts <laughs> to the machine where's your favorite venue at little five uh, my favorite venue is not in Little Five. It is outside of Little Five. It's called the Masquerade. Masquerade. It's no uh, longer there, They just there, got right? torn down, actually. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. That was R. the R. best P. show I ever saw, too, is at Masquerade. The Masquerade. Who was your, what was your favorite show you saw there? Uh, Let's talk while you're thinking so, about it. Masquerade was really cool, Josh. So it was, it yeah. was three levels. Mm -hmm. It was an old mill. The top level they called heaven. The middle level they Listen, called purgatory. Listeners, I'm, I'm, I'm right with you. I'm being just, uh, I'm drowning in georgia nostalgia right and now. then the bottom level is called hell right. and so the cool thing about if you went to the shows in heaven yeah uh it was you get a huge crowd up there and everybody would start going crazy and dancing and mm -hmm. it was so old the floors would the flex. timbers would flex yeah. and so and the so mosh there, pit would literally bounce you would bounce it was a crazy i i crowd surfed one time during a say anything show that was like yeah the best show i've ever been the to it was so sick show ever and the the floor flexes so much that the um the stage monitors would pitch and so they'd put people on top to kind of hold them in place it's 
It was the most Jesus. It I just every time I was up there, I was like, exactly. how does this floor not collapse beneath our weight? And how is there still oxygen in this room? That's the other thing. It was hot. It was super hot. I don't know why they called it. It was hotter and not hell. than two jackrabbits making whoopee in a wool sock, Josh. Show enough. Wow. Yeah. Do we have jackrabbits here? No, we don't. Or wool socks? Nope. That's definitely a southern reference then. That is a southern so reference. So my favorite was uh probably Lords of Acid. It okay. was fascinating, visually fascinating. Okay. And it was a very intense evening. That's all we need to say about that. That's right. Uh one last question that we ask <laughs> all of our interviewees is uh for their favorite restaurant. Mm. What is your favorite restaurant here in Honolulu or in CD2 broadly? Okay, so in CD2 broadly, my favorite restaurant is Ken's House of Pancakes. because. And where is it? And that's in Hilo. Okay. And that's because every time someone orders a sumo-sized anything, they bang the gong and the whole restaurant screams, sumo that's and actually my, amazing yeah. Yep. yeah it's wonderful and my children love it and we scream sumo together and we <laughs> that's awesome we do not care but we're that kind of family right like we when we're here in cd1 mm-hmm. we take what i call vacations mm-hmm. we get in the minivan put all the windows down and we cruise the strip in waikiki and we scream aloha to everyone we see that is fun to do and throw shakas throw yeah. shakas at the trolley yeah they, they, they freaking the love it like, yes yeah. yes we vacation all the time we aloha the I'm heck sho- out of people the, yeah. i'm yeah. shocking with actual hawaiians this is the best trip ever. yeah <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. is what the tourists all think yeah. it's like oh look at that white hawaiian over there yeah. whenever i do it <laughs> right 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, these Hawaiians are awfully pale, just like us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so if you're in CD1, where do you eat? My favorite place in CD1 right now is Mud Hen Water mm. uh, because there's something about little piles of food on planks that really makes me happy, and I'm not sure why. Environmentalist. I haven't gone yes. to Mud Hen Water yet. Same. You need to go. You need we'll, to go. We'll check it out. You know where I went on Thursday night? Hmm. Uh, that would be last Thursday after Civil Beats Trivia Night, which team listened to the Blue Hawaii podcast yeah, won. Yeah. Dominated dominated i went Guys. to fet and oh. fet was delicious okay so fet was where i had a fundraiser at fet so fet the Did chef you? at fet is robin she's amazing that's right yeah awesome awesome people and fet is divine yep. yeah good stuff that would we typically try to do a restaurant rec every week so people know where to go and i cannot recommend fet highly enough i got the eggplant two ways it was fine mm-hmm. but they have this like uh twice fried chicken oh that like you could have taken it anywhere down south and people would have been into it. I mean, uh-huh. it was it was that legit. It was it was so freaking good. Yeah, they're good at fat. Yeah. Good times. I'm thinking about where to have my watch party. You guys got any suggestions? Ooh. Uh, one of my 11. favorite places is quite close by. That's Waikiki Bruco. Yeah. I've never been there. Oh, it's really good. Right across the street, like two blocks away from We you. were there having Seriously. beers before we came over. Perfect. <laughs> and then after this is over. Potentially. Uh, yeah. Potentially. Sherry, any any last thoughts for the listeners uh if if people want to learn more about you more your platform donate get involved where do they go so donating is always key that's a huge thing i will say that i've learned that act blue is kind of a clunky way of donating it is very clunky nobody knows that until they get all up in it and then and they're it's like, like oh 14 wow steps yeah there's 14 yeah. steps and um people who wanted yeah and people who wanted to donate are now dismayed at how hard it is and they don't want to actually donate anymore. I, I suggest the old-fashioned way. Go to my website, www.sherryforhawaii.com. Get the P.O. box and mail in a check. The nice old-fashioned way. That would be great. Literally 100% of our donations come from real people from their real household budgets. We're talking 5 20 like 100 bucks. I think my largest donation might have been $1,000 
and that was that happened maybe once. We are a truly grassroots campaign. So if you're interested in returning the power of the seat to the people, that is what we are about. I mean to get elected into the seat and to represent the rural folks of Hawaii for as long as they let me. And I mean to do that the right way, the way that this seat was intended to have someone in it. So, Ladies and gentlemen, that is candidate for Congressional District 2, Sherry Alu Campagna. And this is the Blue Hawaii Podcast. Blue Hawaii. Tonight, I'll fight for us alive. 